Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and we're going to dig into a hot topic that I'm actually talking about inside of the Master IEP Coach Mentorship right now. So IEPs versus 504s is a hot topic in special education because often we're getting calls as Master IEP Coaches from parents that are saying, I don't know what my child needs, whatever's happening at school right now isn't working, and I don't know exactly what to do next. Maybe my child needs an IEP, maybe my child needs a 504, or oftentimes parents don't know what a 504 is or what it can do or what the difference is between an IEP and a 504. So I'm going to go over six points real quick just to give you an overview so you know what questions to ask next. So parents, teachers, therapists, this information is for all of you. We all need to be working with the same base knowledge if we're going to make the best decisions possible for a child who learns differently. So the first thing that you need to know, point number one, is that there's a difference between which law is governing this document that's going to help a child with their education. So here's my disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not practicing the law, but I am telling you where to look. So if you're going to start pursuing an IEP, you're going to be looking at IDEA law. That's the name of the law. You go look it up. There's a ton of stuff out there. And that's a federal law. That doesn't change from state to state. There are some state laws that can govern beyond IDEA law, but IDEA law is your federal law. With your 504 plan, you're looking at the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. So that's actually a completely different law that is not part of the education law. It's part of a Rehabilitation Act. So it's two separate areas. One of the questions that I get a lot of times is that, should my child get an IEP? Because I heard that a 504 is not enforceable at a school. So in other words, if we write up a 504 plan and the school's not following it, there's nothing I can do about it. You know what? That is not true. Each of these documents have accountability systems set up. It's just knowing where you need to look and who you need to talk to because inside each of these documents, there's entirely different teams that are helping really develop them, design them, and you know they're accountable for the next steps in a child's education and ensuring that the document is being utilized appropriately. It's not that it's not enforceable, it's that it's enforceable in a different way. There's accountability in different ways. It's so very important to know. Now, when it comes to eligibility, this is very different between the two different documents. An IEP has eligibility categories. So the federal government has said, you know, here are all these different categories. And I like to think of them as buckets. So there's these buckets. And, and then we put the child's traits or needs inside of the buckets. We kind of lay them out. And whichever bucket gets filled up fastest by this checklist for each of the buckets, that typically becomes the primary eligibility category. And then sometimes there's a secondary eligibility category. The awesome thing about an IEP is that you're not limited to services based on that eligibility category. That eligibility category is exactly what it says. It just says you're eligible. Services and all those things, those will be determined later. But to become eligible for an IEP, you do have to fit into one of those buckets. Now, for a 504 plan, what we're really looking for is does the child need additional things to access their education the same 
as their peers. So we're not really looking for an official category. We're looking for uh, needs that are not being met, which are actually stopping a child from accessing their education the same as their peers. So they might need some additional supports, accommodations, modifications. We'll talk about that in just a minute and what those can look like. But it's not so much they have to have a specific category. They just have to have specific needs. So age limits. Now, this is a big deal, especially as I start to talk to parents who have kids who are in high school. And, you know, it's can my child's IEP go on to college? Well, this is super important. So when it comes to an IEP, the age limit is the 22nd birthday. So a lot of them uh, will say, a lot of the documents will say through age 21. So that means when a child turns 22, the IEP is done. But when it comes to a 504 plan, there is no age limit and it's not limited to kind of the traditional school years. It can go on to college, it can go into a workplace and go to a lot of different places and follow with it with a child into adulthood because it's under a completely different law. Remember we talked about that on point number one. So here we are with no age limits with a 504, but until the 22nd birthday when it comes to an IEP. Now, what does an IEP or a 504 actually do? This is one of my favorite things that I talk about all the time because I love looking at the purpose and findings of an IEP and really helping parents un understand and really helping teachers and teams understand that neither one of these are focused on academics only. An IEP is to provide a free and appropriate public education to meet a child's unique needs and to help prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. It's so very important to know that an IEP expands beyond just the basics that we're really talking about these three core categories of preparation for further education, employment, independent living, where a 504 plan is not really preparing for anything. It's giving equal access. It's a plan that designs equal access so a child can do the same thing as their peers or that a person could do the same thing as their peers. So it doesn't have that extra layer of specialized instruction. And that's where we get into point number five, which is what's actually in it. What are in these documents? Inside of an IEP, you're definitely going to see goals. A child's going to have a deficit in specific areas that relate to those core areas of further education, employment, independent living. They're going to have deficits, which are going to require goals and specialized instruction and maybe a different placement than the standard classroom. And there's going to be services most likely inside of that IEP, whether it's from a resource teacher, an OT, a PT, a speech therapist. There's going to be this whole combination of events happening inside of this document where a 504 plan is streamlined really into accommodations, modifications, and supports. So that could be things like having directions read to the child versus the child having to read directions by themselves. It could be an extra set of books. It could be specialized technology. It could be um, anything that they need to modify the environment or the lessons so they can do the same thing as their peers. So accommodations and supports definitely go into an IEP. So this is the piece where it, got, it gets a little confusing sometimes for somebody who doesn't know the difference between the two documents because the 504 stuff that I just talked about goes into an IEP. It's absolutely part of the document. But the IEP stuff that we just talked about when it comes to goals and placement and services does not go into a 504. So this is where that real clear line actually can be drawn of what does a child need? So which documents do they need? Now, when we talk about expiration date, 
It's important to know that as a master IEP coach and having done this for over 20 years, I've worked on uh, hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of IEPs and 504 plans. And we need to make sure that we're doing a thorough review annually for both of these. Now, what happens beyond that? That's a whole nother podcast when it comes to, you know, what type of testing should be done? How often should it be done? Um, you know, what does a three-year evaluation look like? What does a re-eligibility evaluation look like? All, all these questions that can come up when it comes to testing and what needs to happen next. And does a child really still need a 504 um, or an IEP? But the bottom line is that both documents need a thorough review annually to decide what is appropriate for the child going forward. Is the document working? Is it not working? How much needs to be changed inside of that document? So I want to encourage everybody to go ahead and leave your comments or look into the show notes here uh, for the podcast. I'm going to leave this PDF that I have that you can see the difference between an IEP or a 504 and using these six key differences of which law is governing, what's the eligibility, what are the age limits, what does it actually do, what's inside of it, and how often should we be really looking over this. Those six points will help you as a member of an IEP team or a special education team or as a parent, start asking the questions that you need to ask to ensure that every child is getting the education that they need for their future. If you have more questions about the Master IEP Coach Program and how you can not only dig deeper into this for your own um, family, for your classroom, but you also want to help others. You want to be that person that's helping walk other families through this. We're never going to have enough Master IEP Coaches. We're always looking to fill our Master IEP Coach mentorship with people who get it from the inside. You want to visit masteriepcoach.com and find out when our next enrollment is open for the mentorship. I can't wait to work with you and keep those questions coming.